BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. It is the summer of 1968, and revolution is in the air. Surrounding the Alameda County Courthouse, some of the most militant members of the Black Freedom Struggle have gathered to push for the release of Huey Newton, the leader of the Black Panther Party. While they keep the political pressure up outside the courtroom, there's a different kind of revolution going on inside. Newton mounted a groundbreaking defense. A new documentary, American Justice on Trial, argues by focusing on the obvious injustice of jury selection. So today, we'll revisit this pivotal moment in Bay and legal history. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The Huey Newton trial of 1968 is one of those events in American history that condense a whole period into one pivotal moment. It made what had been a local Oakland group, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, into an international symbol of militant resistance to American power. The Panthers saw African-American communities as internal colonies of white America and aligned their struggle with other people throwing off the yoke of colonialism around the world. Locally, the Oakland police represented the imperial forces. They'd been accused of brutality for decades. So the Panthers began as a group that confronted police making stops with guns. And then, after Huey Newton was arrested, as his trial played out, the Panthers became an international movement that continues to reverberate, inspire, and confound, even today. The new documentary, American Justice on Trial, takes on this story. It's showing at the San Francisco Film Festival. Joining us in the discussion of the moment, first up, we have Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film American Justice on Trial, a retired judge and author of several books on the Huey Newton trial. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. So why don't we talk about first the sort of backdrop for what happens in the trial. Like, who are the the Panthers as we kind of come into this moment in 1967? And what's the sort of mood in the country broadly? There were a number of uh, riots um, across country from 1965 uh, through the founding of the Panthers, which was in the fall of 66. And the backdrop, particularly to um, to the Panthers, uh, uh, tr- the, the trial of Huey Newton 
was a confrontation between two police officers and Huey Newton uh, in the early morning of October 28, 1967. Uh, the Panthers had become um, internationally famous in May of 67 when they went to Sacramento to protest a change in the gun laws, which was nicknamed the Panther Bill. Uh, because the open carry was the law was the law at the time, and it changed to prevent uh, most citizens from carrying uh, weapons, loaded weapons, within city limits anywhere in the state. Mm -hmm. And when they went to protest it, uh, the bill had not yet passed, so they went with guns, and it was an international headline. Yeah. In part because they entered the, the state building, and there's a lot of confusion about what happened that day. Perhaps it was accidental that they entered the state building, but nonetheless, the image of uh, the Black Panthers inside the state building carrying guns was, uh, as you say, uh, a, a well, major Let me headline. just respond to that. Actually, they, they went there on purpose to, uh, to be among the public members who were um, observing uh, the assembly in action. And there were NRA members with guns also. Um, what, what created a stir was that they were African-American um, and militant, mm -hmm. but yeah. it was legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when we have this moment, I mean, Huey Newton is already well known both around the state, but particularly inside Oakland. And what had the Oakland Police Department's approach to the Panthers been uh, during this time? Well, they kept, the police kept a list of known Panthers and known Panther vehicles. They were very concerned that there was going to be a major confrontation. Every time uh, the Panthers followed the police around on their beat um, with their own car and stopped when someone was arrested, uh, Huey would get out and bring uh, his law book with them and read the arrestee his rights, which were very new. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, had just recently um, uh, 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 written an opinion um, for the Miranda ruling, uh, which meant that you would, you know, you're entitled to counsel and you know your right to remain silent, all of that. Uh, he would read that to the arrestee, and the police were not happy to have the Panthers following them around, especially with guns. So the police were very much behind the change in the law. Yeah, and when we look at the the trial itself like how did you come to get really interested in this as kind of a, a legal moment not just a cultural one i got interested in it because i was researching uh, the career of faye stender who wound up being co-counsel for huey newton and that was extremely unusual women did not do uh, criminal defense very often and certainly not at the level of uh, being a death penalty lawyer uh, so that was something that intrigued me. I was on the board of California Women Lawyers, which she helped co-found. And after she died, there was an award given out every year uh, for women lawyers with the same kind of dedication to um, the underserved, um, you know, socially, um, dis you know, un uh, not mainstream uh, clientele. We're also joined this morning, we've been talking with Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film American Justice on Trial, and we're also joined by Melvin Newton. Huey, oh, uh, I think we're having some sound issues actually with Melvin Newton, but hopefully we'll get him uh, joining us soon. Um, I want to play a cut from your documentary, Lisa, that is 
you know, kind of the uh, a, a bit of a bit of setup. Let's uh, listen in. The shooting happened at 5 a.m., approximately where I'm standing on 7th Street in the heart of Oakland's Negro ghetto. A pool of blood marks the spot where 23-year-old officer John Fry was found fatally wounded from four gunshots. Police say Officer Fry's murder is the first time an Oakland policeman has been killed in the line of duty in nearly 20 years. The suspect, charged with murder and attempted murder, is Huey Newton, 25-year-old leader of the Black Panthers for self-defense. Newton is hospitalized in serious condition and under heavy guard. So this problem, the facts as they emerged on that night, how do you understand them and, and explore them in the film? The, what, what's really interesting to me, and I have to just give a shout out to our um, co-directors, um, Andrew uh, Abrahams and Herb Ferret, is the way in which they put together a compelling film of 40 minutes. What I did was a very lengthy book and then a second book. Um, <laughs> so um, I can't take credit uh, for how well it's portrayed in the film. Uh, I have to uh, take my hat off to what they've done. And also they had some help um, in, with from Abby Ginsberg, who is a co-producer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we talk about that night, though, and and what happened, the facts of the shooting, um, there, over the years, there have been a lot of different interpretations of what happened, both you know at the time and and then reinterpretations. What's your understanding of what happened uh, that night, based on your research? What's uh, what we try to do in the film, and I did uh, consult on how this was portrayed, is to show the different versions because the jury had to consider who they believed. There, the, no one else uh, watched uh, that event. It was pre-dawn, um, but the there were two. There was one surviving officer, and there was Huey Newton who testified to it. Uh, his companion uh, wound up not testifying, but he was he did survive that as well. We tried to portray what the jury had to decide. And I think that we have to focus on what was what was for them to consider. And the main issue was who shot first, because that was that was an issue. And was Huey Newton armed at the time that he stopped? And both of those things were in dispute. I think we're going to try to go to Melvin Newton now. Huey Newton's brother, former minister of finance in the Black Panther Party and uh, former professor in ethnic studies at Merritt College in Oakland. Welcome, Melvin Newton. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you. Oh, great. Um, Melvin, what I'd love to hear from you is just a, a description of kind of the Oakland that you knew before the Panthers. Like, what was it like to to be in Oakland as an African-American person? Shoot, we lost, lost him again. We will work on that. Apologies for that, everyone. Um, we would also love to hear from you. What do you remember of that time, 1967, 1968, as the Black Panther Party is ascendant and the Huey Newton trial and the Free Huey movement is taking off? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 
6786. You can get in touch. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, for Lisa, we have another cut of your film describing basically why this moment of the shooting and then the trial felt so different to many residents of Oakland. Let's hear that cut. All the cases you read about in the paper, there was an altercation, policemen shot the young black man, and it was justifiable homicide. But this time, the policeman was dead and a black man was alive. That hadn't happened. Melvin Newton, does that describe how you were feeling at the time? Like this was, I mean, you obviously had the personal connection of your brother was involved in this, but just also the the bigger notion. Well, regarding the shoot, the, the incident on 7th Street. Mm-hmm. That, well, initially there was a response. And then, of course, later on, there may have been a bit different response. But the initial response when I was informed that this had happened, my father appeared at my apartment early in the morning. I didn't know anything about it and told me what had happened on 7th Street, the uh, confrontation, the incident between the police and Huey. I got out of bed and went down to the scene. I don't know what I expected to find, but of course, everyone was gone when I got there and I sort of walked around the scene. The next thing was the big question of what to do now. I was I didn't even go to the hospital to see Huey because my concern was how can I be useful? And that that was that was a problem. And it took a few days for me to make contact with uh, William Patterson, who had served on the uh, Scottsboro Boy case back. I guess that was in the twenties. And uh, he had experience in putting up uh, defense committees because that was my concern now. Well, Melvin, hold on just one sec. I want to hear the rest of this really badly, but we got to hold on for one quick break and we're going to come right back to you. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Huey Newton trial. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the 1968 murder trial of Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton and the new film about it, American Justice on Trial. We're joined by Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film, as well as Melvin Newton, Huey Newton's brother and the former minister of finance of the Black Panther Party. Melvin, before the break, you were telling us about 
seven the the immediate aftermath of the incident on Seventh Street. Go go ahead. I'm sorry for the interruption. Yes. Well, the concern was now we have one policeman dead, one injured, Huey injured, and I know there's going to be a, a trial. And after uh, it just so happened that William Patterson was in town, as I said earlier, he had experience with defense committees, and also he was an attorney who had worked on the Scottsboro Boy case, among other cases. And he made contact with me and instructed me on how to put together a defense committee. Now, what's the import of that? Important of that to me was this was a serious incident. We didn't know how this was going to go, but I could not accept the idea of my mother being at home and Huey dying in the gas chamber. So my first reaction was, we got to save his life. That was the first reaction. Yeah. Tell me how you two grew up in Oakland as you were, as you were kind of coming up. How did you perceive the local police department? They, uh, they were a, a fearsome force, particularly in the back black community, because our understanding was if you were arrested by an Oakland police based on the experience of others who had been, that you were beaten on the way to jail, and then everything else that happened in the legal process followed that beating. So it was uh, like an occupying army in the black community. And uh, we knew that many of the police that were on the force were recruited from the South. And this is where we had, from which we had migrated to mm -hmm. escape that kind of behavior. But of course, uh, we were still in, in America and uh, we discovered that the uh, Southern Canadian border was really where the South ended in a social... <laughs> Um, Melvin, the um, of course, had she been around? Yeah, yeah. You know the uh, shooting and then the trial, as well as just the the rising uh, notoriety of your brother and the Black Panther Party. What did that feel like as you watched your brother being, you know, brought into the spotlight, vilified by some forces, lionized by many people in the local community? Uh, what was that like to watch and participate in? Well, as a participant, my initial concern was out in 1966 it was when the party was formed. I wasn't in the party. I was in graduate school, UC Berkeley at that time. So after it started, well, I graduated in 67 and was going about my professional career. And uh, I had no inclination really to, to join the party because uh, I was just launching my own career. However, as things started to intensify and the party started to expand exponentially following that incident, because up to that incident, the party had just been a small group of uh, people in, in, the, uh, in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And uh, this incident spurred the Free Huey movement and this is what grew the party very rapidly. So now we have this trial coming up. We have to put together a committee. But the other thing was now the focus is on a party that's very political. And the, and the, uh, and the counter to that was uh, coming out of Washington was J. Edgar Hoover mm -hmm. and Coyne Protel, 
to quash the party. So now we have a much larger situation going on. In 1968, I became a member of the Black Panther Party following uh, a uh, press conference to raise the awareness that this committee existed. And I was asked by a reporter, was I a member of the party? And I knew that membership was there for me because uh, they wanted me in the party. And my answer was yes. And that's when I became the <laughs> minister of uh, finance. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is it wasn't until years later um, when the 50th anniversary of the party, there was a uh, display downtown at the museum and mm-hmm. grandson was taken down there by his father all these years later. And he comes home and says, Papa, I saw your name on the wall. And I'm going like, what are you talking about? And an article on the wall dating when I became the Minister of Finance. And now I was focused of the FBI without even knowing it at that time. Wow. Right. And we do know now from many, many Freedom of Information Act requests that the FBI did actively target the Panthers, target the Panthers more than um, any other group in the country with the the program you referenced, uh, COINTELPRO. Uh, so the party has been growing, and I want to get to another cut from American Justice on Trial. It is the new film about the Huey Newton trial. Is this is Kathleen Cleaver, uh, communications director of the Black Panther Party, crucial early member, describing the atmosphere outside of the courthouse during the trial. We had five thousand people around the courthouse. Every race you can imagine. We had Asians, we had mulattoes, we had black people, we had white people. There was so much international attention. The energy was phenomenal. Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film American Justice on Trial. So that's what's going on outside. Can you sort of lay the scene for us on what starts to happen inside, particularly as jury selection begins? Well, inside, what was going on was pretty much unknown to the Panthers outside. Um, And it was amazing because what the uh, defense counsel did, Charles Gary and Faye Stender, was to spend uh, three weeks um, on jury selection. Uh, The first part of it was to educate the judge with sociologists from Cal, which was a pioneering move about implicit bias, which wasn't called that then. Um, also to bring in a professor from the University of Chicago who had done a 15-year study on juries that found that ma- white male jurors tended to be more authoritarian um, and that those who um, were selected for death penalty uh, cases, if you excluded anybody who had any qualms about the death penalty, that also skewed the jury. And so the Supreme Court had decided just before the Newton trial in, in June of 1968, that you would not, that it was inappropriate to exclude jurors just because they opposed the death penalty in principle uh, from a death penalty jury. If they said that they could still apply the law, uh, that was not an excuse to, to get rid of them for cause. So that was huge. And so there was this major focus. And Charles Gary was very unusual because at the time, most defense counsel would just take the first 12 jurors who didn't have some obvious conflict. Uh, But he did not do that. He zeroed in on mostly on white male prospective jurors to try to get them to admit their prejudice. And 
it worked. Uh, and they wound up seating seven women, uh, four minorities total of, of the, um, uh, there were That's five men, yeah. um, and there were three minorities among the men and one minority um, among the women, and only one African-American, and that was David Harper, who um, was, in fact, the only um, African-American that, uh, at the time, who was chosen to be a um, the foreman by the rest of the jurors. That wasn't known until the end of the trial. Uh, first African-American foreman of a major murder trial in America. So they performed a re revolutionary acts inside, but all within the courtroom decorum. Yeah. Um, We're talking about the 1968 murder trial of Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton and the new film about it, American Justice on Trial. That's actually going to be showing on April 22nd at the San Francisco International Film Festival. You've been listening to Lisa Perlman describe it. We also are joined by Melvin Newton, Huey Newton's brother, former minister of finance, Black Panther Party, longtime professor at Merritt College in Oakland. And you just heard Lisa Perlman describe the jury composition. We are also joined by David Harper, who is the jury foreman in the 1968 Huey Newton murder trial. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Uh, David Harper, you got involved in the case, as any jury member does, through this selection process. But you also describe it in the documentary almost as a kind of calling, like you had a premonition that you were going to be in this trial. Yes. Can you tell me what that was like? Like what, how it felt? Well... <laughs> being a black guy in Oakland, <clears throat> uh, if Newton was convicted, uh, I lived in uh, the Oakland Hills, and I worked for Bank of America, uh, 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 that was going to be really bad because I was living in the white community, white environment, and um, as, a, as a black person. And so no matter what, I was in a precarious position. Mm. And um, so I knew that the trial was going to affect me one way or the other. And uh, if, if there's going to be a riot, you know, I'm going to be stuck on the hill. I can't run down to the black community and I can't stay in the white community. Mm. Mm. I said, this is going to affect me, you know. Yeah. And so uh, so I, I'd better do a good job of uh, uh, being a juror, and uh, my skill set was that uh, I uh, uh, ran a lot of seminars because I was also an uh, instructor at uh, uh, Golden Gate University uh, uh, in night school. So I said, I'm really suited to be there. So. And so I had a feeling that I was going to be there for some reason. I don't know why. Huh. How did you see the other jurors, the people that you were working with? Well, in the beginning, you know, they had drawn conclusions, you know. But then we, the judge said, we want you to examine every piece of evidence and then come up with various scenarios. And so... Everybody was willing to do that, and uh, so we would. Each person would would vote on the various scenarios, 
as they thought happened based on the evidence. And so the other jurors were willing uh, to be calm, to to be um, uh, ac- actually academic in terms of their consideration, and uh, and we arrived at a a, a uh, series of events that we we felt was in most favor of the of the of the uh, defendant based on the uh, process that the judge laid out. Mm-hmm. How did you see you know the defense's attempt? sort of put America on trial and you know, racism in America being central to this case. How did that land with the other jurors? Were they sympathetic? Oh, I think they were academic. Hmm. I think they were all listening very carefully uh, and uh, that they were not... Uh, there was some bias, but uh, uh, they set their own thoughts aside and went with the uh, process. We're talking about the 1968 murder trial of Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton and the new film about it, American Justice on Trial, with Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film. It's going to be showing Friday, April 22nd, part of the San Francisco International Film Festival. We're also joined by David Harper, who you just heard, who is the jury foreman in the 1968 Huey Newton murder trial, as well as Melvin Newton, Huey Newton's brother. What do you remember about that time? Did you follow the Huey Newton trial? And did the trial impact your view of race relations in Oakland at the time or your view of police officers if you were alive at the time? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.com. Uh, Melvin Newton, from your perspective, how different was your brother's trial from what you expected? I didn't really have any expectations prior to the trial, but the interesting thing, uh, the thing that occurred to me that was fascinating and different than anything that I had ever seen before in a trial was that the courtroom became a classroom and um, you had the traditional battle, of course, between the district attorney and the prosecutor and uh, the defense. But you had this unique uh, person that was on trial who took the stand in his own defense in such a serious case and turned it into a classroom and went into the total history of race relations within the United States. That, that was uh, the most interesting thing about it to me. Mm-hmm. And did that make it out into the papers too? Was it, did the classroom extend beyond the actual courtroom? Well, most of the people weren't in the courtroom. What they saw was the demonstration outside and mm-hmm. the uh, articles in the newspaper that um, spoke uh, that uh, gave them information that it had regarding the trial and the various opinions. So you had very different, uh, you had different views of it based upon where you got the information. If you were in the courtroom, it was an entirely different, fascinating uh, kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Lisa, I mean, you 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You have this guy that's on trial for his life, and he's sitting there on the stand like a professor and very, very calmly explaining the, the not only the beginning of the Panther Party, but the reason that it was developed in the first place and projections as to where what the intent was. The idea wasn't about, wasn't really about his own, his, himself, his own defense, but was, uh, it was about a larger picture. It was about the picture of a country and a minority group within the country and those experiences. Yeah. Lisa, ultimately, what was the verdict? Like, how did it actually come down? The verdict was a surprise to uh, just about everyone. Um, what the jury found was that there was fault on both sides. Um, that first they determined factually that they did not uh, uh, think that Newton carried a gun. Uh, they believed the ballistics expert for the state that um, how uh, the officer died, which was two shots in the back from his own gun. And uh, the jury determined that uh, Huey had been shot first um, and was uh, wounded and somewhat disoriented. And he then shot the police officer nearest him. And so he was not, um, it was not totally self-defense because he shot twice. So they came up with a verdict of voluntary manslaughter after acquitting him of murder. And that was probably one of the few uh, ways it came down that could have prevented uh, a widening uh, gyre of, of anger in Oakland. I mean, Everybody got something, as the film really uh, shows and and, uh, and and demonstrates. And it went on from from there. We're going to talk about the repercussions of the trial, as well as the aftermath for individual people uh, after the break. We're talking about the 1968 murder trial of Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton and the new film about it, American Justice on Trial. We'd love to hear from you if you remember those times. The number's 866-733-6786. That's... 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new film, American Justice, on trial, about the 1968 murder trial of Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton. We're joined by Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film, David Harper, who was the jury foreman in the trial, and Melvin Newton, 
Huey Newton's brother. Right before the break, we heard the verdict come down. David Harper, I want to go to you first. What was it like delivering that verdict, and what did you expect to happen afterwards? Uh, well, we were the jury was delighted that we 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 all came with a verdict. So everybody was 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 happy, and everybody was satisfied. That it was it was the, the right verdict. What we were worried about was repercussions. So what we what we what we agreed upon to really end it was not to talk for twenty years. <laughs> but not talk press won't talk to anything. We felt we felt it was going to die within a day or two if if the jury, individual jurors, did not talk, and that's what we all agreed upon. And that's what we held to. And it wasn't until uh, Lee Sperman uh, sought me out uh, years later and uh, mm-hmm. told me about the book, and I said, I guess I'm free now to talk about it. I think the danger is over, mm-hmm. but. Uh, like you said, like she said, everybody got a little bit of something, and uh, uh, it was headlines: Newton guilty, uh, the black community, and uh, said they won. Mm-hmm. David Harper, were you personally worried for your for your safety or, or life during this period? No, not me. I walked right through the crowd, uh, parked in the parking lot, walked right wall. All the demonstrators and everything. I was not worried. Hmm. I, I'm a, I was a veteran war veteran. I, I said, hey. <laughs> uh, but I did worry for my family and the neighborhood and uh, really the community in general. I said, this would be a shame if you know, we had this bad uh, riot going on. Uh, so I said, well, this, if we end it right here, we won't have it. Hmm. And that's. Mm-hmm. In the courtroom, we could see the National Guard on the buildings with machine guns. Um, <laughs> and we were right across from it. We could see the people down below armed. And so we said, well, you know. And, of course, uh, part of being uh, black is let's pick him to be the foreman of the jury, even though, uh, because uh, all the focus would be on me. Mm. So that, that worked out pretty good. <laughs> Melvin Newton. Uh, Hugh Newton's brother. Let's just get your reaction to the verdict at the time. It was confusing. Uh, it was confusing in, in a lot of ways uh, because, uh, and I think part of that was due to the uh, testimony of the surviving officer, Heems, who testified that he n- never saw a gun in Huey's hand at the same time, he testified that Huey shot Fry. Hmm. Um, this was kind of a strange uh, witness, given that he was on the scene and was one of the persons that had been shot. That was that was one one issue. The other thing was uh, there were other people on the scene at the time that this happened, and there were two occupants in the car. And uh, the uh, passenger of the car was a witness uh, at the trial who refused to testify. So these that, these uh, things added 
drama and, and mystery to the trial mm -hmm. itself as to what actually happened and what was the focus and was the focus primarily uh, uh, singularly on Huey because of his position in the Black Panther Party or was it something else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how did the rest of your family react to what was happening? <laughs> you know, I never thought about that much until you just asked that question. I didn't give much thought to anyone in the family and what they thought except my mother. And uh, I could visualize her sitting at home with a guilty verdict of first-degree murder with her son in the gas chamber. And that was my big motivation to not let that happen. It wasn't so much that I could free Huey, but at least keep him out of the gas chamber. So, so my focus was on, on her and, and my father. <laughs> Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film American Justice on Trial, you know, as we kind of play out the repercussions here, the, the trial also, your film argues, really made a, a, a real uh, uh, impact on criminal defense generally. Absolutely. The, what they did uh, to seat that jury was groundbreaking. For 200 years, a jury of one's peers that's guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution was almost exclusively white men. And it opened the eyes of criminal defense counsel nationwide because they often had minority defendants and they had not been focused on trying to seat a more representative jury. And Ann Ginger, Ann Fagan Ginger, who is a civil rights lawyer in Berkeley, put together a handbook, Minimizing Racism in Jury Trials, the voir dire in People versus Newton. And she took what had happened during that trial. She had the transcript. She had uh, access to the opening statement and closing argument and the voir dire of the jury, the questioning of the jury and put as well as briefs that were written by Faye Stender for the trial and the testimony of the sociologist. And all of that was put together in this handbook that became the Bible for criminal defense lawyers uh, across country starting in 1969. So they started making concerted efforts to have more diverse juries for their clients. Such an interesting aspect of, of this film, which does premiere at the San Francisco International Film Festival on Friday at 6 p.m. at the Roxy Theater. Even if you thought a lot about this trial and its cultural impact, the legal impacts here, uh, totally fascinating. Matt from Oakland. Let's welcome in our first caller. Hi there. Um, uh, can you hear me? Yes, sure can. Go ahead. Okay, okay sorry. Thanks. Uh, sorry. One thing I think it's important to note also is just how truly systemic this was. You know, at the time in that era, in the, in the Panther era, the, um, uh, the, the the district attorney of Alameda was a man named Frank Coakley, who was essentially, you know, waging a war against the Panthers in many respects. And it's also interesting to note that he previously was the naval prosecutor for the Port Chicago mutiny, as he termed it. Uh, which was basically the racist prosecution of 50 African-American servicemen uh, uh, after a, a massive uh, munitions explosion at Port Chicago. So it's a, it's, it's a fascinating part of Bay Area history. But it's also interesting to note that, you know, that, that same prosecutor, that same district attorney, was the man that, you know, continued that kind of, you know, mm -hmm. you know 
had that kind of impact over the Bay Area over that many years uh, and was using that, you know, his his influence to to uh, to basically, you know, prosecute uh, 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 these kind of racist cases. Yeah. Yeah. Reinforce structural racism. Uh, cause you're talking Port Chicago, uh, World War Two. So, you know, we're talking now 68. So that's why, you know, almost 25 years there in between those cases. Uh, Melvin Newton, did you know uh, about Frank Copley or was that someone that you had focused energy and attention on? I didn't know that he uh, prosecuted that case. I know about the case Port Chicago, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that he prosecuted it until now. <laughs> and how did you see the legal, the sort of what were really white legal structures at the time in Oakland? Um, how did you see those? How did I, I, I'm, that's not the question is not clear to me. Oh, just I, did you see? You know, the Panthers had a broader analysis of structural racism and being sort of black communities being colonized within America. How did you see the legal system doing its part sort of as part of what you saw as that imperial apparatus? Well, our problem with the legal system was was the fact that right from the beginning, and that's when you select a jury, is that we always seemed to disappear from the panel as you became closer to trials. So we were, we saw ourselves, I mean, black people as the people who were always on trial and we were tried by white people. And this was uh, historical and it was, uh, it just, it just didn't seem that you had really a fair chance mm-hmm. once you were arrested. Yeah. Um, David Harper, Jerry Foreman in the 1968 Huey Newton murder trial. Wanted to ask you, David, what kind of personal repercussions there were for you or how this changed your life to be a part of this trial? Huey Newton uh, said that the black middle, middle class was the arch enemies of the black community because we were allowing our skills to be taken away from the community. And, and that was profound for me because I did leave Bank of America I went to Detroit the year after the riot and organized the bank. Mm. <clears throat> so my whole life, <clears throat> my whole life, changed as a result of it. <clears throat> and so, because I decided that he was right, and that that the pursuit of just me by myself would not improve my situation, and we have to bring the rest of the community along with us. Quick correction, that was the DA's name was Frank Coakley, by the way, everyone. Uh, and David Harper, did you stay in that line of work? Did you stay working as a banker? Did you retire? Like, how did the rest of your life uh, go after that? I, I, I ran the bank in Detroit for um, uh, about six, seven years. Um, my wife died, remarried, and we moved to St. Louis, and... Um, I had a small bank job, a lot less than what I had in Detroit, and uh, then I became an auto dealer and and went on from there and, and other other pursuits. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the main thing was that uh, I organized the bank, and they called it a black bank, which is no such thing. Um, but uh, 
they had them throughout the country. Mm -hmm. uh, it was important to do that uh, because it, it changed banking in the country, along with the other uh, minority banks. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, David Harper. I want to get to one more call because it gets to sort of the current uh, nature of the criminal legal system. Susan from Oakland, welcome to the show. Thank you. Go ahead, Susan. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Uh, I, yes. Um, I was a public defender in Alameda County from 1985 to 2012 and actually continued practicing criminal law uh, until 2017 in the juvenile division, mostly. Um, but I wanted to talk about the effects of um, the uh, voir dires that have been talked about um, and the difference between 1968 during the Huey Newton and, and um, his trial and what I experienced in 85, which is the things that they were talking about the, um, um, that uh, Gary uh, basically challenged became um, exactly what we did in the 80s and mm -hmm. the 90s and the 2000s. With respect to picking juries, the idea of picking the first 12 would never have happened. But um, the issues and the, and, the, and the strategies in which we would actually, you know, talk to juries and um, understand implicit bias, even though that was not even discussed so very recently, um, it really became the gold standard of how to pick juries. And my thought as a public defender for all those years was that the voir dire or jury trial or jury picking is the most important part of the trial because that's where you get the people that you are talking to and trying to change um, or have their perspective meet your perspective and the advocacy that you're doing for your client uh, was to really address those issues and listen more than talk and pick a jury that given your case and the facts in your case would would um, be able to hear the defense. So the, that idea was way beyond picking the first 12 and moving on. Yeah. So it just became a way of life. It just became the way that we did things. And hopefully, um, you know, they're still doing things. That was, you know, 10, 12 years, <laughs> 10 years la yeah. uh, later. So I think it is, though, because that is really, that became the culture of defense lawyers um, in Alameda County and probably all over the world, I expect. Yeah. Thank you so much for so that. I give great um, thanks to them. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective, Susan, for doing doing that work. Uh, Lisa, can you respond to the where the current legal situation is? I imagine we have not eliminated racism from the U.S. criminal justice system. No, uh, we absolutely have not. But before I, I do that, I just wanted to let your uh, listeners know that if they go to justicemovie.com uh, on the web, they can actually watch our trailer and sign up for future um, showings because we are sold out for tomorrow night. And we want to do a, a premiere also in Oakland. Um, where it is now, there is a still a significant problem of people who are poor and um, minorities. There's, there's very little jury pay um, and it's not it doesn't um, allow for people to go to, a, especially for a long jury, uh, you know, two weeks or more, uh, they can't sit through it. So they get dismissed for hardship. So there's a movement to um, increase jury pay, um, uh, bills being proposed in the legislature here in California and elsewhere. And there's also um, a, a problem with the um, 
prosecution has uh, still a lot of leeway in many states um, to dismiss people um, for race, but not necessarily say that. And so uh, it, it, they use other proxies for the neighborhood they came from or a whole list of different criteria mm. that can that uh, get them um, a jury that's skewed. There is no right to a jury uh, that is diverse. Um, what there is a right is to have is that the jury be picked from a cross section of the community that um, and that people are not deselected uh, purely based on race. Um, so uh, there's a lot of work still to be done. But one of the things I wanted to mention is that Karen Jo Coonan, who's an expert in our, um, in our film, um, on jury selection, uh, has said studies show that diverse juries deliberate longer and come to more defensible results. Um, so that is a goal well worth trying to um, yeah. achieve. And it isn't just uh, for juries. It tells you that you want to have diversity throughout the justice system if you want it to have more credibility in the community. Yeah. Lisa Perlman, uh, real quick before we end, if this wet people's appetite about the trial, you do have books on. What's the first book people should read of yours uh, if they want to learn more about this trial? Wow. Um, I guess they might want to read American Justice on Trial, People v. Newton, which is the uh, uh, 2016 book I wrote about just about this trial, mm-hmm. um, because it includes uh, salient quotes from all the people we interviewed um, And it also shows the impact of the Panthers on the Oakland community uh, going forward up till now. My original book is also one I think they would be interested in, um, The Sky's the Limit, People versus Newton, the real trial of the 20th century, because it goes through the entire century, 1901 to 2000, of famous trials and says this one. This is the one. Yeah. Thank you so much. Lisa Perlman, co-producer of the film American Justice on Trial. We've been talking about the 1968 murder trial. Black Panther co-founder Huey Newton with Melvin Newton, Huey's brother. Thank you so much for joining us, Melvin. And David Harper, who is the jury foreman in the murder trial. Thank you so much, David Harper. It's great to talk with you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.